0: Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada. Welcome to Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. I'm Connie Thiessen. This episode brought to you by Rumpel, the ultimate sales management app for the broadcast industry. Learn more at MomentumMediaNetworks.com. This week's CRTC report on misleading and aggressive sales practices in the telecom industry has been heavily criticized for its failure to commit to clear, actionable timelines. Among those critics is Michael Geist, University of Ottawa law professor and the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law. Geist is likening the CRTC's handling of the telco report to an iconic Seinfeld episode.
1: Yes, yes, of course. The Penske file. Oh, can't wait to sink my teeth into that. So, For those that aren't familiar with that particular episode or the show, it, it's an episode in which George basically goes to a job, starts work at a job that he wasn't formally provided with. And uh, the boss isn't around for the week. And so he's charged with spending the week working on the Penske file in which he does little more than transfer the contents of the file from one file to an accordion file folder. Um, and it's, it's, it's become known to mean um, working on something, or in air quotes, working on something without really achieving very much. Uh, and part of that same episode talked about whether or not someone was Penske material, um, which is something that I also raised over the course of the week. And bringing that into the CRTC context, you know, when when the CRTC took this issue on, this notion of misleading sales tactics by the large telecom providers, um, you, you know, I think it's important to recognize that they didn't come in uh, of their own volition. In fact, when they were asked to examine. Uh, and conduct an inquiry into allegations that had been raised in media reports, particularly by the CBC, they declined to do so. They said, no, there's no reason for us to do this. Uh, Consumers have plenty of ways to address the issue. It was only after the government forced them to do it that they finally took this issue on. What they found was that, there is significant uh, amount of misleading tactics taking place. In fact, Bell has received tens of thousands of complaints about their practices uh, every year. And yet, while they have come to those conclusions, finding all of these transgressions, as it were, with respect to these tactics, the report talks about all kinds of things that they're willing to consider, but there isn't really any urgency. There isn't any immediate steps that appear or many immediate steps that they're planning to take. And so it has a bit of a Pensky file feel to it where they're going to be working very, very hard on an issue that they didn't even want to address to begin with. Um, And yet there's no timeline, no clear commitment, no benchmarks about what they're trying to achieve, leaving Canadian consumers still presumably stuck with facing telecom companies engaging in some of these activities.
0: What was your expectation of what this week's report was going to contain? Some interveners, like the Public Interest Advocacy Centre, have said, to be fair, the commission was simply asked to report. Do you accept that argument?
1: I don't because I think that if we were dealing with an issue that was of deep concern to some of the large telecom companies, if we take a look at the history of the commission, they wouldn't have simply said, here are the issues and we'll leave it at that and we will go further as needed or when further instructed or whatever language we we saw crop up in the aftermath of the release of the report. I think that you send a signal about how you prioritize these issues and what you see as your core priorities from a policy perspective in a number of different ways. You can do it by saying we're going to take these issues on. The CRTC under Ian Scott said they weren't prepared to do that and only was after, oh, it was only after they were forced to do so that they actually examined it. You could do it by identifying these kinds of issues and then making it very clear that not... This wasn't just a concern that you said we're concerned about it, but here's what we're prepared to do about it. And here are the kinds of timelines and expectations that we have to try to address the issue. They didn't do any of that. Um, All they did was say, here's the report. Here's a whole series of things we're willing to consider. Now, it's entirely possible that they will uh, take certain steps down the road or we will have certain hearings down the road. Um, but if you were really concerned about this issue, if this was you know, a, a crisis in a sense for the tens of thousands of Canadians, and they find that it's many of the most vulnerable Canadians who are most deeply affected, I think you do more than say, we found all of these problems and we're going to think about ways that we can try to address it sometime in the undefined future.
0: I, for one, and I think quite a few people uh, in the journalism community were expecting more blame to be laid. When that question was posed to the commission this week, the response was the CRTC will let the public record stand for itself. Were were you expecting there to be, I guess, more of a tone of an indication of where the fault lies?
1: Well, on a certain level, I mean, the CRTC is right. It isn't a big mystery where the fault lies. the, The evidence came through. Bell would appear to be by far the largest transgressor, and that's consistent with the media reports that sparked this to begin with. Rogers then kind of comes up along in second place, and it appears that that's where a lot of the source of the problem is. And it's clear that there are many others in the industry, including TELUS, that are very frustrated by a CRTC approach that doesn't adopt any sort of name and shame Kind of approach to it, even though that's where the evidence would lead. I don't know that simply saying well anybody who's following this would know where the blame lies i mean be serious uh, you know the average canadian is not following the intricate details and all the evidence that comes forward when it comes to a crtc hearing much less taking the time to read all the various submissions and the like so the idea that it's there if you want to dig for it um i think is the wrong approach i mean there there is a problem here it does lie with a couple of companies in particular, and it is, I think, incumbent on the industry regulator to make that clear. The failure to do so leaves, I think, the distinct impression that you've got a CRTC under Ian Scott that is more interested in protecting the reputations of the incumbent companies than they are the interests of individual Canadians.
0: So moving on, Thursday, the CRTC issued a call for public comments on its proposed Code of Conduct for Internet Service Providers via Facebook, of all platforms. This ISP Code of Conduct proceeding has been one of the most contentious that I can recall in recent history.
1: Well, you know, you couldn't make this up, I don't think, if you tried. Uh, If we go back to the fall, the CRTC said they were interested in establishing an Internet code of conduct. They did so at a time when they hadn't yet released and still have not fully released uh, data from the communications monitoring report they did so at a time that many groups were actively involved in trying to participate in the review of broadcast and telecommunication legislation that is currently ongoing launched by the government and so they threw that kind of into the mix at a time when there were a number of other moving parts and so what you had is some of the most prominent consumer groups operating in the area that are consistently involved in CRTC processes, ask the CRTC for an extension, saying that the amount of time that you've given us, given all the other things that we're dealing with, simply isn't enough, can we get an extension in time so we can see some of the other issues play play themselves out, we can get more evidence uh, available to us and we can provide you with the kind of evidence you need to to help craft uh, a viable and effective code. The CRTC said no. And the response, I think, it was quite interesting because you had a number of groups say, well, if you're going to say no to this, we can't effectively participate and ensure that the kind of evidence that we're going to muster is going to be as as, as effective and as strong as, as is necessary to help uh, develop a strong evidence-based policymaking process. And so they simply boycotted the process altogether. And this attracted a considerable amount of attention. It was raised in the House of Commons. Or press releases on it. Uh, and the CRTC stood firm and they said, sorry, no, this is the deadline. And so, what you ended up with is, uh, I think, a fairly defective process in the sense that many of the groups who represent the very interests that are at stake in developing this kind of code are nowhere to be seen. Well, I mean, that's the approach they took, and the evidence they got is the evidence they got. Fast forward, as you say, uh, to this week, and suddenly the CRTC would seemingly reopen the process by saying we're going to conduct an open consultation with Canadians on Facebook, and they've now said you're free to email in your comments as well, that will become part of this record. It is... Difficult to fathom how the commission could have adopted an approach that said we are closing the record back in December and then choose to reopen the record a couple of months later. Why couldn't they have simply allowed for the extension that was asked for by so many groups um, to incorporate exactly the kind of timeline that they're now uh, reestablishing only a couple of months later?
0: What do you think the reasoning is behind, uh, you know, the way that this proceeding has rolled out?
1: Well, I mean, it's hard. It's it's hard to know what the the rationale is. I'm sure that I, I would suspect that the commission was surprised to see the backlash that they got from consumer groups because for so long. Those very groups have, have, in a sense, said, well, we don't have much alternative. We've got to make sure that these voices are out there. But a number of them said, listen, we, just, we literally cannot do this. And part of it is also the CRTC's making. We've had certain groups that are on the verge of financial collapse because the system that we have in place to ensure that costs are paid for, those per, for, for participation in proceedings uh, have been so long delayed that we have groups that simply are having trouble keeping the lights on. Uh, from a financial perspective. So you've got groups that are being squeezed on the one hand by CRTC delays that are unprecedented in providing compensation, the reimbursement in effect for their participation in proceedings. And on the other hand, you've got an unwillingness to accommodate what is an incredibly packed agenda, one that is difficult for these groups to participate in. And we should not lose sight of the fact that when we think about what these participation and these proceedings look like, we are talking about companies on the one side who have virtually unlimited resources to participate. I mean, you take a look at the kinds of submissions that you can get from the bells of the world. Reportedly for the Broadcast Telecom Review Panel, their submission, which they still have not made public... Uh, simply leaking elements to some media organizations, but not available to the public as a whole, runs into the hundreds of pages with all sorts of appendices. That's very difficult for anybody to compete with. And so if anything, the CRTC, if it saw its role as a regulator of the industry and one that put consumers and the public at the center of that, would be working overtime to ensure that there was as as strong and effective a consumer public interest voice as possible. And yet what we have, I think, witnessed over the last number of months under the new chair is precisely the opposite. We've seen one where those groups are increasingly squeezed. There is no accommodation when it came to the issue with respect to timelines for participation. Um, It's, I think, very, very deeply troubling, Um, but it's one that after... A year and a half or more of time in terms of what we've seen unfold, I don't think many can ignore or chalk up to mere coincidence.
0: Where do we go from here, Michael, particularly in the face of the broadcasting and telecommunications legislative review also ongoing? We arguably are going to see results from what's been a flawed process in the eye of many consumer groups.
1: We are. Uh, and I mean, at this stage, obviously, there's this additional sort of open window for participation, but it doesn't really offer up for those groups the opportunity to do the work that they would have liked to have done to try to pr- create a fully informed Body of evidence for the commission to to proceed under. There are of course lots and lots of these kinds of issues that are all up in the air, including the the broadcast and telecom review panel. You know, in the short term, we're going to get that panel at least provide us with uh, a what what we heard document. I believe by the end of June. I think it's unfortunate that that panel uh, has not made the submissions they received public, and so we've got so this grab bag of submissions where some people have made them, some organizations and individuals have made their submissions publicly available, um, and I did, I did so, and, and ben, a bunch of others did as well, but there are many others have chosen not to, and so uh, we're operating at least for the coming months until all of this is, is publicly available with, it, with incomplete evidence and incomplete number availability of submissions. We'll get that report. It'll come just as we enter into an election campaign. Uh, It will be interesting to see whether or not the political parties themselves take on some of these issues as part of the campaign. I think there's certainly reason to believe that the affordability of wireless services in Canada in a country that has some of the highest wireless prices in the world that goes directly to the competitiveness of the country more broadly and, uh, and an innovation agenda will be part of what we hear about. And I don't think it's much of a secret that the uh, industry minister, innovation minister, Navdeep Bains has been frustrated. With the CRTC in particular, I mean, witness the fact that uh, he did send back the issue on MVNOs. He did require the CRTC to conduct this review on sales tactics and has been outspoken uh, about wireless affordability issues. So it's entirely possible we'll see this as one of the election issues, but it's really almost a year from now that we'll have a clearer sense of you know, who forms the next government in what form and perhaps a better sense of what direction both the panel might take and where government policy may go.
0: Do you think any of the commission restraint that we've seen could be tied to the fact that we have an election coming up?
1: No, no. I, I must admit, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think there is that correlation. No, nor should there be. I mean, the, the commission uh, is at pains to comment on how it, it operates on an independent basis, and there isn't really. There, I mean, there's obviously political considerations that come up from the policy decisions that it makes and decisions more broadly that it makes. But um, I don't think the fact that we're in an election year would dictate that. The term of the chair extends well into the mandate of the next government. Uh, and so I don't I don't really see that as an issue at all. I, uh, in many ways, I just see uh, a CRTC that, you know, operated one way under uh, Jean Pierre Blay, and with some clearly articulated priorities under Blay, and we have seen a real change, I think under uh, Ian Scott.
0: some of your counterparts have called for Scott's resignation. Do you join that call?
1: Well I, I don't think he's going anywhere i I think I'm discouraged and uh, as are many, I think with what we've seen um, under his mandate, I thought that there were certainly things you could take issue with uh, under Blay, but at a minimum, um, he made, I think, real strides, both in trying to advance the interests of consumers within the communication system and trying to increase the amount of participation as well. And I think this is important as increasing public confidence in the regulator and you know the CRTC isn't going anywhere I don't think anytime soon Um, but for a very long time the CRTC was viewed unfavorably by many Canadians oftentimes without really knowing the nitty-gritty of what was taking place but I think Blaise saw as at least part of his mission uh, a, a, a desire to kind of reframe people's perspectives on the CRTC about what it could achieve and about how it might be there to place the interests of the public um, first and foremost. I must admit, with all respect to the current chair, I think we've seen a dramatic step backward under Ian Scott, I think we have one where the increasing perception is of a captured regulator who puts the interests of industry ahead of consumers uh, and who as in, in many ways, I think, reversed many of the, the real gains that were made under Blay. And there are really no signs, I don't think, that we're, going to, we're seeing uh, any sort of shift back towards a CRTC that, that sees itself as a guardian, first and foremost, of the public interest.
0: Thanks so much for joining me, Michael.